Okay. If you've got a Bible with you, you'll need Mark chapter 1 at hand, but it will be on the screen as well. Um, So we are going to take maybe, I don't know, two years doing this. That's just today. Uh, And uh, Mark was uh, probably um, the cousin of Barnabas. He's probably John Mark. Uh, And we read about him in Acts and in Paul and Peter's letters. And uh, Mark is often considered, I think mostly considered, to be the oldest of the Gospels. And uh, Matthew and Luke actually quote from Mark uh, quite extensively, uh, almost word for word in places. Um, It's thought that Mark wrote down Peter's preaching um, either just before or just after Peter died, before he was uh, executed in in Rome. So uh, around AD 64 to AD 67... And it's uh, written for Roman believers. Uh, there's lots of uh, ideas in the, in the text, actually, internal evidence that it was written for a Roman Christian audience. Uh, the way he explains Jewish customs, uh, the way he interprets Aramaic terms, because they wouldn't understand that. And, and he uses the Roman system of time. And Mark 1.13, there's this reference uh, to wild animals when Jesus is tempted, and that's something that isn't in any of the other Gospels. And if you think about what happened under Nero and so on in Rome, where, where Christians were thrown to animals, uh, that, that may also be a, a sort of, you know, Jesus stood up under this temptation, and you can you know, have angels attending to you. Uh, don't give up. Don't, don't give in. And... Uh, there's another evidence in Mark 13, uh, verse 14, uh, which talks about uh, things that are going to happen in Jerusalem that hadn't yet happened uh, in AD 70. So we think it was written really before that. Uh, Mark uses a very simple style. Um, it's not complex. It's not uh, academic Greek. It's, it's very common Greek. Uh, he, uh, when we were at school, we were, never, we were always told never to start a sentence with and, uh, Mark does it all the time. He says, and this, and that, and the other. Um, he even starts with, in the beginning. Um, there's also lots of movement and lots of action. It's immediately this and immediately that. And uh, a lot of present tense, actually, in the Greek. It says, and they come to this, and he says, and, and they reply. Uh, so he's, Mark is drawing us in. In fact, Mark, I think, wants to draw us into the band of people that follow Jesus around, and he wants us to feel included as, as, we, read, uh, as we read along. Um, I don't know if you know that Mark, um, the main reason uh, we chose it is it's the shortest. It's only 16 pages in my Bible. Um, it's only about 15,000 words. I'm a slow reader, and I read it all in an hour the other day. Um, Luke's Gospel is actually the longest, uh, 26 pages in my Bible, 25,000 words. Uh, that's, oh, what, 40% more or something? No, no, I can't do my maths on a Sunday. 66% more, wow. Um, so I'm not a fast reader and I can read it in an hour. And I, I guess there's a challenge, a challenge to the young people as well. So try and find some time when you can sit down and read it all in one go. Uh, It's really worth doing because Mark writes in big sweeps and there's lots going on. And although we're going to go through it section by section, in about 60 sections, (laughs) um, we're going to try and pick up some of this big sweep as well as we go. 
Um, and, and one of the ideas I've had, I don't know whether some of the guys would like to do this or whether it's just something we can do together, is get together one evening, uh, maybe have some nibbles and stuff, and sit down and just read it together to each other. Uh, it would take less than an hour and a half, I think, if you read it out loud. We could have a break halfway through. Um, or, or get together and read a section uh, when you have coffee together or something like that. I think it's just a brilliant place. And then Christianity Explored is a course that we've been using. Uh, Rico Tice, who devised Christianity Explored, describes Mark's Gospel as meeting Jesus as he walks off the pages of Mark's Gospel. It, it, it's an encounter with Jesus. And uh, of course, we're going to be using Christianity Explored uh, in October. On the 16th is when we start at Barristers. And uh, it's, it's good for us to be studying Mark together as we get to know Christianity Explored a bit. And meeting Jesus as he walks off the pages of Mark's Gospel has been my experience too. I, I grew up in a very, you know, I went to Sunday school, went to church. Uh, I had a very sort of cerebral understanding of who Jesus was. And it was only as I started doing Christianity Explored, I don't know, 12 years ago, uh, that I began to meet Jesus in a new way as he walked off the pages of Mark's gospel. And Mark is somebody who wants us to, to be drawn in to the story. He, he, he wants to make us think. And one of the things he does is he asks lots of questions. And quite often they're questions that he doesn't provide an answer to. Uh, but they're there for us to think about and answer a sort of an exercise for the reader. Things like, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Or, why does he speak like that? Who can forgive sins except God alone? Or, why are you so afraid? Don't you understand? Have you no faith? Or, why do you call me good? Nobody is good except God only. And sometimes these questions leave a little thing niggling away. What is going on there? And uh, there's also this thing with Mark that he, he, he has tantalized... I, I don't know if you, you just take it all in every time you read it, but I, I've read over parts of Mark time and, time, and I've never seen a, a certain thing there because I'm just so used to it. I think Terry was encouraging us this morning uh, to think about how Peter really felt the first time he, he heard Jesus said, I'm going away, and we just read over that. Um, but, but there are bits in Mark's Gospel that are just weird. I, Jesus curses a fig tree. I mean, what did the poor fig tree do? It wasn't even the season for figs, Mark tells us. What's going on there? Or, or Jesus, who seems very good at healing all kinds of diseases, on one occasion, he tries to heal a blind man and it doesn't work. He has to have another go. What's that about? Now, these aren't mistakes. These are things that Mark wants us to see. And, and too, too often we just sort of glide over them and we, and we don't... If there's something in Mark that puzzles you, he's hooked you. And what he's trying to do is to draw you in and to get you to think. Let's, uh, let's read uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it's written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness... Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. 
Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, it's very simple. Uh, we're going to be looking at five points. I don't know if you can see them there. Beginning, gospel, Jesus Christ, Son of God. Um, all of these, uh, if you've been in a Christian setting for any time, will have certain meanings and you'll have certain understandings, what we call a, a theology behind that, uh, a way that you understand these terms. Um, just think about what you would say the gospel is. Or, or what is Christ something more than Jesus' surname? Uh, yeah, probably. But, but the term Son of God, I mean, we are... We've already talked about the Trinity. Son of God, obviously that proves that Jesus is God, doesn't it? Uh, well, we need to be careful not to read our theology and our ideas back into Mark. This is a primary source for us. This is where we read what God has said. And this, if we have ideas about God and theology, this is where we must get them from. And we have to be careful not to superimpose our thinking. So when we see these words, we have to be careful not to bring baggage with us. In Mark chapter 7, 13, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says to them, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. He says you do many things like that. He's confronting them because they're experts and they think they know it all. And we can listen in because he's telling them off, not us. Uh, but we can be warned not to do the same thing. Um, not all tradition, of course, is, is, is bad. And in, in history, we've had amazing things that have been statements of what Christians believe, like the Apostles' Creed. I don't know, who knows the Apostles' Creed? No, okay. Uh, but the Apostles' Creed was uh, one of many creeds that were written down to try and help people understand the truth of the gospel and to counter certain errors at different points. And it goes something like this. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. You may have heard that. These walls have certainly heard that many, many times. Um, that is a summary of the gospel, but it is an incomplete summary of the gospel. And if you read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll think, 
well, okay, I can see where you get that from, uh, but there's a whole lot else in there. In Mark, there's another 14 chapters of information for us, for our instruction, which didn't make it into this. So that's what I say, we have to be careful when we come that we don't bring too many of our ideas. Some of these things are good, but they're not always helpful. And and in Mark, we are going to come across many terms that Christians use all the time. Things like Christ, Son of God, Son of Man, the Father, the Holy Spirit. We're going to hear the Gospel, the Kingdom of God, the Kingdom of Heaven, angels, unclean spirits, resurrection, ascension, healing, speaking in tongues, sin, repentance, faith, baptism, disciples. And we're going to come across many of these in Mark's Gospel. But we have to be careful how we understand them and make sure that it's Mark that is teaching us, not our history and our tradition. Jesus also warns uh, another group called the Sadducees that they are in error because they don't know the Scriptures or the power of God. And so that's something we need to be warned of and it's something that we need to, to take care of. So before we really dip into this, Let's just pray because Jesus says we need the power of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Mark's gospel. We thank you that we have this opportunity to to look at it over many weeks together. And we pray that you'll help us uh, to hear what you want us to hear and to, to not just hear our own prejudices and our own preconceived ideas but to open up to your, your word. Give us power to understand it. Help us to, to, to know the scriptures and to know your power. Amen. Okay, next slide. What is this? It's a coin. It's a Roman coin. It's a denarius. Um, if we look at the next slide, we can actually see... Uh, There's the Latin and then extra letters that make up the word. So they use abbreviations in in Latin. And and, uh, so, um, Abigail, do you want to translate it for us? No, we have another slide, which is the translation. (laughs) Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, Augustus on one side, and high priest. And this was on all the coinage at the time of Jesus. Um, Tiberius Caesar was the Caesar at the time and his father Augustus was actually, um, after he died the, the Roman Senate said he is a god so Tiberius liked to go around saying well I'm the son of God also uh, in, in history we find all these amazing documents and this was a decree that the, the Greeks used for the birthday of Augustus on the, 9th, sorry, on the 23rd of September 9 BC so before Jesus is born It's a day which we may justly count as equivalent to the beginning of everything. It has restored the shape of everything that was failing and turning into misfortune and has given a new look to the universe at a time when it could gladly have welcomed destruction if Caesar had not been born to the common blessing of all men. Providence has given us Augustus, filled him with virtue for doing the work of a benefactor among men and sent him as a saviour for us and those who come after us to make war to cease, to create order everywhere. The birthday of this God was the beginning for the world 
of the gospel that has come to men through him. And into that setting, Mark writes. And in our setting, what would that look like? Well, if we wrote something that was a little bit exciting politically, um, we're not going to get uh, made into a human candle or fed to animals. Um, We might get towed away. But uh, this is what a decree looks like. And not everyone rejoiced when baby George was born. Um, And that's okay in our land. But in Roman times, it wasn't okay. And a decree went out and you had to, to go with it. So the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, actually takes on a slightly different meaning when you understand the context. We're in a context where Caesar is called Son of God, where he's called Saviour, where declarations about what Caesar has done is called the Gospel. And Mark comes along and he pens the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. It's a Gospel, it's a declaration of good news. Uh, quite often a gospel, and it's the euangelion is the, the Greek, not that I'm a Greek scholar. It's a, it's a declaration. Somebody comes, a messenger, running from the battlefield to say, we've won, we've won. Uh, there's liberation, there's victory, and Caesar is great. Um, to Mark, the gospel of, a, of Jesus is, though, greater than any other gospel. In fact, it is the gospel the gospel, the good news to end all other good news. And he talks about a beginning. Not only is his gospel above every other gospel, it's before every other gospel. Um, It's not just like, um, are you sitting comfortably and now I'll begin. It's No, this is, um, in fact, we see it in other books of the Bible. Uh, We see John does it, the In the beginning was the Word. Or Hebrews, uh, that which was from the beginning. And what are they doing? They're they're going back to Genesis. In the beginning, God. And that's what Mark is alluding to. This is the very beginning of good news. And it's about Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. He's before all things and he is above all things. It's all about Jesus. No one else in history is like him, and history belongs to him. And it's not about me, and it's not as if he should do things my way. He alone is God, and we must surrender to his ways. And that's as we come to Mark's gospel, we remember it's the good news about Jesus. It's not the good news about me or you or, or even about Freedom Church. It's the good news about Jesus. And guys, if we're going to be unified, we have to come and we have to gather to Jesus. We, don't, we do gather around Keith, but most of all, we gather 
to Jesus. And we don't gather to our agenda. We gather to Jesus because he is before all things and he is above all things. And he is Christ. And Christ is a theological term. It's a Greek translation of the the, the term Messiah in the Old Testament. And, And the Messiah is God's great king promised to the Jews. He's an anointed king and he will reign forever and he is God's high priest forever. That's the Messiah. Now, Son of God as a title also has some Old Testament connections but I don't think that's the main thing that Mark wants us to see here. I think Mark wants us to see that Jesus is Son of God in a way that Caesar is not. In fact, Caesar is an imposter. And I think what Mark is writing is very subversive. And he's writing really to two groups of people. He's saying, Jesus, to the Jews, he is your Messiah. He is the world's Messiah. You understand the term Messiah. He is the Christ. And Romans, he is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. Not Tiberius, not Augustus. Christ and Son of God. These actually act as signposts to us in Mark's Gospel. We don't hear the titles Son of God and Christ used again until later, much later, in Mark's Gospel. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but that's one of the joys you're going to have as you read through it in one session. I could say we said it as a, but I've got a, I've got a spoiler for you. Um, maybe we'll just put the, the next slide up. In uh, Mark eight twenty nine, that's the next time after verse one of chapter one that we hear the term Christ. When Peter confesses Jesus, you are the Christ. And the term Son of God isn't used again until. The centurion uses it. That's interesting, isn't it? A Jewish man confesses Jesus as the Christ, and a Roman confesses Jesus as Son of God. And so Mark divides his book really into two sections. His first eight chapters are really telling us about who Jesus is as Christ, showing him to be Christ. And then there we see that Jesus has absolute authority. He has authority over people. He just says, follow me, follow me, and they follow him. He can teach like no one else. And he can undo religious mumbo-jumbo. He has authority over the demons. Uh, They know who he is, and when he tells them to shut up or get out of here, that's what they do. He has authority over sickness, every form of sickness. He has authority over nature. There's a storm. He says, shh, be quiet. And it's still. A storm normally would go on sloshing around, wouldn't it, the water? But it says, no, the water was still. Jesus has absolute authority over nature. He has authority over death. We're going to meet, in a few months, (laughs) a little girl. 12 years old, who dies. And Jesus only has to say to her, little girl, get up. And she gets up. 
Jesus has authority over our biggest problem. He has authority to forgive sins. Jesus is shown by Mark in the first eight chapters to be incontrovertibly the Christ. And he gets to a point and he says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some people think you're Elijah, some people think you're John the Baptist, and I'm a prophet. And Jesus says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And it's like Mark has taken a big red marker and gone, that's the first point. QED, he is the Christ. I told you, the Christ, the Son of God. The next eight chapters is Jesus displayed to us as the Son of God. What kind of king is he? How does his kingdom come about? And in Mark chapter 10, verse 42 to 45, we read this. Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, think Caesar, Lord is over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great amongst you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. And get this. And kids, uh, that's one of your challenges, is to learn this verse. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what God's king is like. That's how he rules. Not like Caesar. He's a very different kind of king. And you're going to have to wait a year to see that. (laughs) And we'll have to do something to pull some of that forward. But it's strange. The second half of Mark, really from Mark chapter 8, verse 31 onwards, is focused on Jesus' death. As soon as Jesus has been declared to be the Christ by Peter, Jesus says the Son of Man must suffer and die. And as if they didn't get it, and they didn't, in Mark chapter 9 he says the Son of Man must suffer and die. And in Mark chapter 10, he reiterates it again. Reiterates it again. It's all, half of the book, half of the book is about Jesus' death. Because it's so important. Now this morning, we were uh, talking about the presence of God through time. And and at... at, uh, through the history of Israel. And at North, uh, Jeremy Simpkins also did a similar thing from Genesis to Revelation, the presence of God with his people. And Mark points us to the beginning. Because what is wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world is summarized in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve rebel against God. And what happens They are cast out of God's presence. And what happens? God puts cherubim guarding the way with a flashing sword. 
so that nobody can get back into God's presence. And then we heard uh, from Jeremy and from Terry that in time, God made other provisions. And actually, he came and dwelt among his people, but they weren't allowed into his presence. In fact, in the tabernacle, there were various layers, and then there was this place in the middle, the Holy of Holies, where nobody was allowed to go except one man once a year. And when the temple was built as a concrete version of the tabernacle, the same thing was there. And the same curtain was there that kept people out of God's presence. And all through time, there is this this desire to to be in God's presence. But no, our sin has, has got us out of God's presence, has barred the way. And... Do you know, I, I didn't know this, but the, 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 the curtain had embroidery on it. And do you know what was embroidered on it? Cherubim. To remind you of Genesis 3 and the garden and of being excluded and the flashing sword and that you could not come into God's presence. Now, one of the fun things with Mark's gospel is that sometimes he, he brackets things over huge distances, many chapters, and he, he wants you to see things as they unfold. But sometimes he will put three verses together which explain something of cosmic significance. He just There's three little sentences that are joined. And when we look at Mark chapter 15... And the death of Jesus, we find that Mark has done something like that. And I just want to, to, to close, really, with thinking of this. Um, I'm going to read from Mark chapter 15. This is the death of Jesus. Um, Mark chapter 15, verse 33. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. And now three verses which is astonishing. I, I, sometimes when I read the Bible, I think of it like a, like a cinema screen. Now, you've got to imagine this. There is a camera zoomed in on Jesus, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And now the camera swoops over the heart, you know, zooms out, swoops over the skyline, and goes to the temple. And it zooms in, to the curtain and it says the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and now it zooms back and here's a centurion standing by now the now dead body of Jesus and when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last he said truly this man was the Son of God. Mark wants you to see that. 
in just a moment, in an instant, Jesus dies, the temple curtain is torn from top to bottom, and a Roman centurion can see not just that Jesus is the Christ, but he's the Son of God. And we're going to have so much fun as we go through Mark's Gospel learning about this Jesus, this King above all kings, this Christ, this Son of God. I think it's thrilling. So let's make some effort. Let's read Mark's Gospel. Let's get to know it. Uh, Let's come along to Christianity Explored. Let's bring other people along to Christianity Explored. And let's get to know this Jesus who is above all other kings.